Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The obvious question people had to ask themselves, how does fashion fit into this changed world? How is what I do relevant? How can I make it relevant? It seems unlikely that we'll have a so-called normal fashion week in January or February either. So what do you think is going to happen? I think it's a sort of, it's a reflection of how we're going to get by, how we're going to get through this crisis. Everybody's going to get through this crisis. So we have to help each other as much as we can, as much as we're allowed to from our bubbles and our isolation cells. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. Around this time of year, each season, Tim Blanks and I sit down for a chat to recap the fashion season that was. It's a tradition that we wanted to continue again this year, in this very unusual season, even though neither of us have attended a physical fashion show all season. But it was an interesting season for technological innovation and creativity. Here's... Tim Blanks, Inside Fashion. Hello, everyone. This is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. And I am here with my friend and colleague, Tim Blanks, editor at large of the Business of Fashion. And usually around this time of year, Tim and I do a debrief on the Fashion Week that has gone by. And it's usually been informed by some of the chats that Tim and I have in the back of a car, shuttling from one show to another in in all of the fashion cities. But this has been, it goes without saying, a fashion season that was very different. But we wanted to continue our tradition. And as it's been such a unique and unusual season maybe it's even more interesting to talk about the fashion season that's gone by so tim maybe we could just start with the decision that both you and i made not to attend any physical shows this season you know what what led you down that path because of course there were some things you and i could have gone to here in london but in the end that didn't transpire? Well, my husband, Jeff, is very high risk, and we have been so extremely careful since March that it just seemed the sensible decision to extend that caution and keep on extending it until we know there's not some kind of, I mean, remove as much as, remove as many random elements as possible from our lives. I, I feel I, I 
scarcely been out of the house for all for, for months. I found it um, so it wasn't even the novelty. I just found the options that we were given if we weren't attending things in person. We could zoom with designers. We we could dive. We could do deep dives into collections. I ended up quite seduced by the virtual option. I have to say, comfortable in my room. That's a surprise because, you know, at the early, the onset of the pandemic, when we were talking about, you know, Fashion Week and it's changing and potentially, you know, some shows never happening again, you know, you were quite pro Fashion Week. Oh, yes. Um, and pro fashion shows because fashion shows have been my exposure to fashion for my entire time working in this industry. And I was definitely on the side of, you know, that way of, that way of, encountering fashion but this has been an education in so many ways apart aside from the fact i've actually you learned to use technology and in a way i never thought i would i would ever be able to it doesn't kind of terrify me or bore me or whatever you know as so many people said and it didn't matter whether they were you know people like me who just sit and look at things or whether they were buyers you know people who are whose bread and butter is the touchy-feely side of the industry so many people were saying the the ability to go back and look at things and to have it to think of something and then be able to go back and see whether it was what you were thinking of or to cross-reference and to and to be entertained as well i i think the difference this season is people really really got their virtual presence together you know We've had a couple of dummy runs um, that weren't wildly convincing. And I think this time there was so much thought and creativity and ingenuity applied to new ways of doing business that, um, and new ways of bringing yourself to the world that, that it was a very, very different ball game, I felt. Yeah. You also got to spend more time with the designers because oh we my God. so much more i mean that was a mixed blessing in a way because normally it's three minutes backstage a few questions and you whiz off and do your review and now it was 45 minute zooms and so you were having proper it reminded me actually it's funny it reminded me of um when i first started covering fashion and i would go backstage and interview designers and that and people, there weren't that many people doing it in those days, you know, when there was a handful of camera crews and, and you would end up in these, you know, half hour, 45 minute conversations in depth with the, you know, it was a novelty for you to be talking to the designers. It was a novelty for them to be talked to. And you would get people, you would have these extraordinary conversations that would then be brutally truncated into like a, 30 second soundbite or something for the for the broadcast meanwhile there's all these conversations floating around in an archive somewhere and this this is in a funny way you know this is what it was like that you would be having quite you know you'd be having meaty talks with people and so when you went to write about the collection you were you were approaching collections from a whole different level of insight i think you know so in a way it was more time consuming. And even though I wasn't kind of in the car with you driving from place to place, flying from city to city, all of that, it was more time, and I was just sitting in my room, it was more time consuming in that sense that, and more thought consuming and more, and ultimately more rewarding in a funny way, I guess. I mean, if we're creating time capsules, you know, there were a few designers, Jonathan Anderson, one of them saying he was creating a time, he felt he was making a time capsule. And I guess all of us who've been involved in these last, in this last six months are contributing to a time capsule in a way. Everything you do, people will look back on this as a record of a very, very particular moment. Yeah, I mean, all these BOF live conversations could be spliced into a really interesting, kind of snapshot of the things that people were thinking and feeling um, during this period. So did you feel in a general sense before we, before we speak, you know, about specific collections, did you feel in a general sense that the current environment, you know, the pandemic, 
the economic crisis, the racial reckoning. How did that filter into the shows, if at all? You know, what, what did you, how did you see that? If fashion, as they always say, is a reflection of the times and of culture, I mean, how, was the, how are the current times reflected in the collections this season? I think, I think hugely. I, I think starting in London, there was a huge acknowledgement of not just the changes that were happening, but the changes that needed to happen. And also of the obvious question people had to ask themselves, how does fashion fit into this changed world? How, how is what I do relevant? How can I make it relevant? And that was, I think that was a huge, huge shift. And uh, in, in, in no way are we out of the woods. Uh, the uncertainty prevails and it seems to be once again reasserting itself majorly, especially in London and possibly in Paris. So, you know, there was this, there was this real sense, I thought, of getting on with it, you know, whereas the uncertainty was created this kind of not paralysis, but, um, well, the uncertainty bred uncertainty and what we'd seen as people tried to assess the situation earlier on. This time, people had been able to formulate their response and been able to express it coherently, creatively. I think that everything that we, we had to absorb um, from BLM, the George Floyd um, murder, the, the incredible governmental ineptitude that, that, that we had to deal with um, and that we are still dealing with. Fashion designers responded to that in a way that, that I found, I found it so validating. Uh, the, people who, the people who came at it with passion and, and you know, sincerity and authenticity, and it was, it was exciting to see that. I can't think of another time in fashion where obviously there, there hasn't been a time where there was this kind of challenge. There've been times when the industry was like 9-11 being one example, where the industry was, was fiercely challenged on, you know, designers were challenged on issues like relevance. But this particular time, so many young people, I felt, um, especially in London, you felt where where it was harder earlier in the year to see a future this time you could and mm -hmm. you could see you could see the whole notion of of people absorbing the idea that that their businesses would be smaller but more real and more responsive and the whole notion of a dialogue with a customer genuine dialogue with a customer, all these things that I think are incredibly valuable insights. Um, you could see them actually taking shape and you could see them becoming, you could see solutions where a few months ago you were just seeing problems. Hmm. Well, let's start with London um, because, you know, that's always where we begin. And, you know, in the meantime, we have so many people watching, um, I thought maybe we could use the chat function and you know, hear your responses. So the first collections, uh, first set of collections we'll focus on in London. So if you're watching and you followed the London collections, maybe in the chat, share what your top collections were in London while I'm asking Tim the same question. So you know, Tim, you said that you know, there's, you know, there was an ingenuity in the way that the London designers approached their collections and responded to the times we're living in. You know, what, what, what really stood out to you this season? Well, well the, the fact is that London design businesses have always tended to be smaller anyway. So ingenuity is very important. You know, people have, um, it, it's, it's been, about, been about more the joy of making rather than the, you know, I want to be a, billion dollar business in 10 years sort of thing and i th i thought what was really interesting is that um one one of the things that was really interesting is that designers that in the past i i have you know i've enjoyed what they do but i've never really 
thought too deeply about it, you know, really seemed to, they did what they did, but it flourished in this situation. And um, I'm, I'm thinking particularly about Michael Halpern, who, who's always had been, he's always had that sort of, oh, he does disco clothes label attached. You know, well, this is Studio 54 Redux and sequins and glamour and flash and joy and with always, of course, with the melancholy that's attached to disco. Um, I do find disco incredibly melancholic music. And this season, he did that, but he also made his show, the, the, his online, his virtual presentation, into a salute to frontline workers. He chose, I think, eight women who were all like a, a cleaner in an ICU, tube driver, um, a doctor. I mean, he put together a cross-section of, of women and he dressed them in Michael Halpin clothes with Patty Wilson styling and Sam McKnight doing the hair and, and having their nails done and oh, the fabulous manicurist. And I might just have a hole in my head right now. And, you know, gave them this, took them out of their actually quite dangerous jobs and, and just gave them this joyous experience, which totally, which was a total validation of what fashion can do. You know, if you look good, you feel good. And, and all those things about uplift and joy. And, and it was so, I mean, I, I think a lot of people cried when they, when they watched his, his, his footage. I know I did. Um, at the same time, what I loved was the defiance. And I felt that in London. I felt the defiance. London's very good. London, London um, British designers have always done defiance extremely well. And this, but this season there was, the defiance was, was joy. Joy was, joy was defying dark times. I mean, I, I know I'm um, Justin Vivian Bond talking about glamour being defiance as a certain kind of, uh, certain kind of um, movement in that direction as well. But, you know, Molly Goddard did the same thing. And it's incredible to think of a gigantic bubble of tool, pink tool, being def a defiant gesture. But she was so pissed off at how, at how certain areas in the industry just circled the wagons and just every, you know, she said, my, you know, she's told me my, my, my business is, ba is, is balanced, is delicately balanced in the supply chain. And the minute somebody decides to interrupt the chain, the whole thing is threatened and a whole lot of people are, and, and she's, she, was, she was amazed at people who she's always trusted and believed in how, you know, how self-interest kind of overwhelmed them. But she, instead of, she, so she started off a little bit, you know, the, the season was dark and so she's in her head, she was gonna do something quite somber and monochrome. And by the time she got, she was allowed back into her studio, she was just so, furious that she just boom blew it all up with color and that was another that was another collection i just loved because you think about wow what a lovely you know kind of to to the whole thing you you just defiant joy and you know it's interesting people's responses christopher kane's response was really interesting i mean he, he in lockdown he'd been painting and he transmuted these paintings and these incredible glitter and glue paintings this is furious spewing out of stuff just wild stuff and he transmuted it into into onto his clothes but he said it's not because the the, the, the collection was actually secondary to the painting to the therapeutic activity of the painting and so he doesn't doesn't even know if he's going to sell the clothes but i, I just this is all these kind of idiosyncratic responses. The other thing I thought was so wonderful about London was the number of women who, independent women designers, who just made incredibly strong statements, even from baby businesses. They were, you know, Bianca Saunders, Sapria Lili, Awalia, and, and pa Paria Fazana did these super strong presentations that would, that would just provocative and affirmative and positive. 
and and none of these people is on is on safe ground you know yeah it just it it was lovely to see i thought yeah it's it's interesting because the the group of designers you've mentioned are all you know for the most part except for maybe christopher saying some of the really you know younger set in the london scene but then there was also burberry um and by reading your review, I can see that that, you know, that show did not resonate with you. What, what, what was it that, about it that just didn't work for you? Well, for me, it just didn't work technically. I was frustrated. I logged on to, I don't know, there were various platforms you could log on to. And I logged on to one of them and I, I suppose I should have scooted around and maybe found what other platforms were showing, but I saw, the the musical performance i didn't really see the clothes i saw the the, the live music accompaniment and didn't really get a, a proper look at the collection or, or even really have a sense of of what the you know what the whole format what the whole performance the presentation was about so i found that quite frustrating to be honest I, but that it's you know it might be maybe anybody people who were tech savvy managed to skate around and see. I can't remember what I was watching it on, but- um, I think you were watching on Twitch. I was watching it on Twitch. Yeah, we were, we were watching on Twitch together and having a little Well, could chat. you, were you able to move around on Twitch and get it from different- No, angles? I mean, what, what Twitch offered, which I thought was interesting, because it's not a platform that I've ever used before, is that you, you view live, live streams from multiple different camera angles. So. Uh -huh. You're kind of watching four, four screens at the same time. And I think, you know, that this was, you know, Burberry was a kind of the first of many of the big brands trying to figure out, well, exactly how are we going to show this season? So maybe we should talk about some of those other shows because there was a bunch of people who did films and, you know, still images and stuff. And let's talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I absolutely yeah. love Anne Imhoff, who, who the, the, the artist, the, the German artist said that. Yeah. Ricardo worked with. I mean, I saw her thing at the um, at the Biennale in Venice, and it was stunning. I didn't see the thing at the Tate, at Tate Modern, but it was incredibly visceral. And I thought maybe the notion of showing Burberry clothing was maybe uh, there was a sort of. Uh, I, I know Ricardo said she's she's loves Burberry trench coats, so there was a kind of connection. But maybe what she does is so visceral that, that there was a sort of disconnect between the, the form and the content or something. Yeah. Lots of other brands tried to do a similar thing, which was to you know, do live broadcasts of a physical presentation, sometimes without guests. So if you think about Valentino, or you think about Prada, which had a pre-recorded presentation and then broadcast it to the, the world. Um, Altuzara, you know, there were several other brands that went down that route. You know, which of those resonated for you, both in terms of being able to experience the collection, but also the collection itself? Well, there the, the were some that were much more straight that's much straighter than the others. And Joseph Altazara's show was a, a film of a, you know, models walking. But, you know, I know Angelo Flaccavento, who writes for BOF, what wasn't, he didn't feel that it showed the clothes off to best advantage because it was actually a really lovely collection. But I actually quite, it was very, it was very plain, but I thought that worked quite well. I don't know how many cameras there were, maybe two or something, three, but he's going to say there were a hundred, whatever, but that you, it was just very straight with the music and the models walking. You saw the clothes. It was very clear. It was very crisp. Valentino, I don't know, had dozens of cameras and it, the cameras never settled. So I felt I never really got a good look at anything. In fact, there were two dresses I really wanted to look at that I don't think I even, even saw. I saw them from a distance and I was like, where are they? Where are they? And they came walking. There was a, a drone shot of a walkout. So there was just two, so the cameras were just two, peripatetic they were just hopping around all over the place Prada's technological thing was brilliant because the fact that it was a film of models walking was made into the the core of it that there was this sort of chandelier of cameras suspended and the models were 
engaging. It was like, it was like you were the camera. So yeah. it was very, very direct. And yeah. I thought that- some of, those, some of those camera movements reminded me of that Plato's Atlantis show uh -huh. that, that Alexander McQueen did with those like moving cameras where the cameras and the technology almost became part of the presentation. But I think what, what made the Prada show feel so effective was that it was really simple and straightforward. Yeah. And yeah. it's easy to see the clothes. And I think where some of the brands went a bit awry is they tried to add too much in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it became very difficult to kind of separate the kind of musical performance from like the installation, from the collection. Yeah, well, I think what was intriguing about Prada is that I, I had all these other things going on in my mind, you know, that movie um, Ex Machina, the Alex Garland film Ex Machina. And also there's an old Julie Christie movie called Demon Seed. And she's in this house where she kind of gets kidnapped by a computer sort of. So it, it had that kind of, there was that slightly sinister undertow of the models. When the models were looking at the camera, it was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, you, you want you, you want a piece of me or something like that. And, the, and you could, there was a real tension that, even though the setup was, you know, one room with the models walking in one room and the cameras, it was extremely dramatic. It felt like it achieved a huge effect with very defined resources. Whereas other shows that were massive with all the technology in the world just closed you out. You know, I, I thought Dior mm. was an interesting case because when I was talking to Maria Grazia Curie in one of my pre-show Zooms, and 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 it was a very important collection to her, and very and very intimate in its creation. Obviously, working remotely and following on from pre-collection, her resort collection in Puglia, which had been very very close to her heart, and she said, "This is what this is how she wanted to work forevermore in this very intimate um, collective way." I felt the show didn't serve that because it was big and it was dr drony and it were drone views and it was just a lot. It was, if the show was formed in a crucible of intimacy, it was delivered in this sort of slightly grandiose way that, that, that diluted. So I guess that the moral of the story there was, and Chanel, the same thing, the bigger the show, the less engaged I was, the, the bigger the hmm. physical show was the less engaged I was. Right. You know, like the Chanel show, you could, you could, uh, with the cameras moving and you, you got the models crisscrossing and not, you saw the close-ups of people not being quite sure where they should walk. And it was a little bit awkward, I thought. Well, I think that's why the other reason the Prada show worked is it was a pre-recorded show. So they could edit it in a way that avoided some of the mishaps that happened when you have a live show and you're like, you're having to cut between different camera angles in real time and you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but because they basically recorded in advance and debuted it, you know? Yeah, and, and the models were directed very well. Uh, yeah. And yeah. also, I mean- They look, they, I mean, the looking into the camera thing was so effective. It just yeah, felt so like they were looking straight at you. Yeah, accusatory, yeah. it was, it was, it was yeah. good, it was- very strong. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Hi. 
You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. And so tell me, Tim, that was obviously the most anticipated show of the season, you know, because it was uh, Raph Simmons and, and Mrs. Prada's first collection together. How, how did that combination manifest itself in your eyes? I thought it was interesting when they were talking afterwards because they both made the point, well, Raph made the point that one season maybe he'll do it and, and Mutual will say, yes, I like that. Another season she'll do it and he'll say, yes, I like that. I felt this was a season where he, he did it and she said, yes, I like that. It felt there's sort of that gesture with the coats being held like this. So was a, there was a, a lot of things that um, felt, you know, the music being classic man, you know, Richie Horton, one of his favorite DJs, and the word pieces, Peter DePoto, one of his old collaborators. I, I never think of Mutual Prada as being that literal a designer. And so to see the words on the clothing, I found a little bit disorienting in, a, in the context of Prada, that those slightly sort of those cryptic, slightly surreal messages. She communicates in a, in a more subtle way, I think. So I, I, th- I thought it was, it, 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 it did, you know, it, and she did say this is the beginning and we didn't have very much time to work on it. We didn't get to work together the way we wanted to work together because of the, the quarantine. And obviously they're both looking forward to when it coalesces as they imagined it would. And they both, they both said this. So um, I think that we take this as ground. Well, she, she created Ground Zero with her last collection purely, you know, with herself as, as the creative director, the last, the last season. So this was the first season with both of them co-creative directors. And so if she was kind of saying that that was Prada the blank slate last time, this was Prada the slate being slightly filled up. And I imagine that it will be, I, I look forward to seeing, seeing, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that there was an apologetic note in what they were saying afterwards, but you know, just the, I think they were, were both saying it will be more what it is going to be next time. You know, that's the message I was getting anyway. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so that's kind of some of the digital experimentation we saw, but then there were other designers who decided to do things maybe a bit old school or, you know, a bit more analog, let's say, rather than digital. So, you know, in the men's shows, I know you were a huge fan of what Jonathan Anderson created um, with the show in the box, both for yeah. J.W. Yeah. Anderson and for Loewe. What did you make of his show on the wall this season? Well, he did another wonderful show in a box for himself. Yeah. Um, then he did this incredible show on the wall. I mean, just, and I actually said, I had a dream last night <laughs> where he did one last box and it was lunch. <laughs> that was so bizarre. A lunch box. Okay. He did, and I was, I, was I was cleaning everything in the box. And my, the last vision of my dream was this big spoon with a single walnut sitting in it. So I don't know, I don't know what Freudian interpretation you'd apply to that. But the, the Loewe box was so huge and so heavy, it's sitting in my hallway. Um, I opened it once and then it was a thing of wonder. I mean, Anthea Hamilton, an artist he has collaborated with in the past, made wallpaper. I noticed online people, and there was glue, and there was a brush. I noticed online that people, situations in Los Angeles actually put the wallpaper on the wall. I think he did it in the bathroom. There were, uh, then there was this wonderful book of the collection, which just, uh, you know, gave you the whole thing, gave you, shot all the, the objects that were in the box and then shot the accessories. All the photography work on that book I thought was just beautiful. There was a little beetroot impregnated ceramic thing as a room, room set. In other words, you could create a Loewe environment for yourself. And there were life-size posters of the collection that it was suggested you glue on the wallpaper. When you finished hanging the wallpaper, you just slap up these life-size images of the collection. The whole thing was so furiously, it was so surreal, but so kind of magnificent in a funny way. And did you and, feel like you were able to understand the collection and yeah. really take it yeah. in? Yeah, I, I, it, it, you know, the whole notion of, um, of um, oh, he said something so wonderful, I just can't remember what it is right now, thinking back about, about that collection, but that he, what he's always been amaz amazingly adept at doing is bringing the past into the present in his collections. You look at his clothes and in this collection too, there were a lot of historical echoes. You saw kind of historical garments echoed in there. I mean, he's, he's looked at Tudor England. He's looked at, he's looked at all sorts of different elements of the past. Um, you know, the, 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 the British and the Irish past. And he's been talking, with Loewe being a Spanish label, he's been talking about, you know, exploring Spain's cultural history. So there were those shapes that you associate with Spanish old masters in the Prado Museum in, in um, Madrid. And so there was that, but at the same time, and then he pokes it into the future. So you're looking at something which could honestly be a hundred years ago, a hundred years in the future. And then by creating this environment that you could view the clothes in life-size, <laughs> I guess, you know, it's creating this dialogue in a very interesting way, a sort of artistic and, and cultural and, and also the emphasis on craft, which, which is so important to him. And, and the engagement that it becomes something you're part of, something you're participating in as well. And, and you know, if, you, if, if we think of how passive fashion is, yeah, this felt this felt so new in a way that you think, how would you ever go back to yeah. doing a fashion show? I mean, I have a few questions. This, like I said, this thing is in my hall. It's so big. I've talked to I'm talking to Kathy Hoare and she said she didn't even open hers because it was so cute. She just looked at other people doing it online. It broke my heart to think that, oh, you know, there might be people who just stick it in the recycling, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, mine is sitting, or it was here, but I don't know where it went. But we actually, we used some of the wallpaper and we did some old uh, tables that we had. So, it, I mean, what was fun about it, as you said, was that, you know, anyone could kind of take the creativity and the collection and the way it was presented and kind of 
adapt it and twist it and do their own thing with it. And then, you know, as we are in the age of social media, then all of that was like playing out online. So if we judge a success of a fashion show based on the conversation it creates, you know, in the, in the kind of digital space, then, you know, his boxes and the show on the wall were very, very successful. I wonder what the metrics would say. I don't have the metrics, but it just, it felt like it spread around and it probably really is something that people will remember from this time. The, the, the thing is, it would, it would just be a glorious gimmick if the clothes weren't as, you know, that, yeah. that's, that, that's where it's really, that's where it becomes exciting that um, it, it, the clothes were wonderful. The clothes merit that kind of elaborate exaltation. And, you know, it, it, it's such a, there were, there were certain things like Jonathan, the Lueve box being one of them, but I thought John Galliano's film for Maison Margiela was another one where you are looking at fashion in a way you've never looked at it before. And as he said in the film, how am I ever going to go back to doing a fashion show? Because it was just so enthralling. You sat for 40 minutes looking at this film that he made with Nick Knight that was everything from, you know, the very, very beginning of the collection, like the, ver the first flicker of inspiration to this elaborate tango, you know, this sort of spectacle of the clothes in furious motion. And just so it was from the very beginning to the, to the very end, the, um, the journey, you know, which Nick Knight did with Gareth Pugh for the collection that Gareth Pugh put together. Um, the same kind of idea that the interest in process. I mean, we did see that in the, with the couture and the men shows earlier in the year that, 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 you know, say Hermes, for example, and, and, and Margiela again, focus it, focusing on the process, you know, the, the act of creation. And that's, that's like Jonathan's box, you know, you're drawn in, you're, you're, you become a participant in the whole thing. And if it, it kind of, I think it, you know, in an optimistic way, it changes people's relationship with fashion. It, it will change people's relationship with fashion. I wonder if they'll sort of mm -hmm. demand this kind of access on everything because, you know, Dries van Noten, who's one of the greatest showmen in fashion, um, you know, one of the greatest showmen of all time, he has done some of the best fashion shows and he loves fashion shows and it breaks his heart, he couldn't do one. He uses economy of means to make, you know, a, 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 a something that was as impressive, you know, not, not as impressive as a Loewe box because that was just like a massive, but, you know, this multifocal look at his new collection with a, he did a, the, worked with a photographer, Vivian Sasson. I mean, the moral, one moral of the story is choose your collaborators because Nick Knight um, was has, has been incredible. Vivian Sasson's a wonderful photographer and she, and he said he'd be a Dutch photographer. He said he'd wanted to work with her for a while. So instead of doing a show, they took his collection to the beach out in Rot outside Rotterdam and shot it in Rotterdam and Amsterdam, a beautiful editorial shoot with the clothes. She does color, color photography so incredibly well. The clothes really coming to life. He was inspired by a New Zealand avant-garde artist. I swear fashion's in education. You do learn something every day. Uh, from called Len Lai, who in the 20s, 30s and 40s was making these experimental films that honestly looked like the most perfect artifacts of psychedelia you've ever seen in your life. So she made a film using Len, Light's, Len Lai's films projected on the models. And then she did this editorial, Vivian did this editorial shoot. There was an interview with Dries, very nice interview with Dries. Then there were all of Len Lai's films. So you've got this whole package. And if right. you wanted to explore a different facet of the collection, you just go back into it and look. And this was, this is, everybody yeah. has access to this. I mean, this is the, another interesting thing. We're all looking at this stuff at the same time. So, um, that's... and we always were, but I guess, I guess what's different, not always, but in recent seasons, you know, everyone was watching online while we were physically present, but this is the first time that, you know, we've taken in all the shows through this, through a screen the same way, yeah. you know, anyone yeah. 
could experience the shows. So then what's the, what's the purpose of somebody like me writing about them, you know, when everybody's got the evidence of their own eyes to go on? So I think I turned into an Well, because, you know, as one as one of our commenters has posted in the chat, you bring you bring unique insight uh, and present <laughs> oh, the stories nice. with you. honest with honest humanity. And that's from Sandy Becker, who's um, who's one of our, our attendees today. So I think still someone needs to be able to like bring it all together and kind of make sense of it because not everyone has the same kind of expansive well, knowledge yeah, of culture I, as you have. You know, and I guess everybody sees, everybody sees like, you know, a hit movie, but, but then everybody will read a few people writing about that hit movie. You know, you're yeah. curious to see what so-and-so so says about, you know, the new Jordan Peele movie or the new, um, you know, Father John Misty record or something like that. You know, you want to, so it doesn't matter that you heard at the same time they heard it, you want to see what they had to say. So I, I feel it does kind of change, change the role of fashion criticism a little bit, but I think that's a um, conversation for another time. So, um, I've just asked the group here what their top shows were in Paris. So while we're like getting the feedback in from our community here, I mean, what really stood out to you from the shows that would normally happen in Paris? And I'm thinking like, for example, Rick Owens is always one of your favorite oh shows. How oh did it God. work for you this season? Bring me, bring me to Rick Owens. Showing on the Lido in Venice like literally a block yeah. away from where he lives. How handy. Showing outside that uh, massive movie theater, that massive sort of brutalist, I don't know, a movie theater, it might be a movie theater, where they have for the, use for the, which they use for the Venice Film Festival. And the models walking in a collection that felt new for him, there was a really different energy in that collection. And, you know, the sh those huge shoulders and those fabulous shorts, like stubbies with the, you know, with the pockets hanging up, the shorts are cut really short, the short and the pockets hang down below the hemline of the, um, of the pockets. I think we, I think they used to be called stubbies anyway in America. And there was that sort of, you know, that glam energy he's been, he's been um, pursuing for a few seasons. But I also, I also felt his collection with a, unfortunately we couldn't hear it on the, on the soundtrack because he wasn't allowed to use it on YouTube, but it was a remix of I Feel Love, a, a special remix of I Feel Love by Donna Summer. So there's that sort of, um, we could hear another, another mix, but there was a kind of like defiance, you know, like he, he does defiance better than anybody, but this was a joyful defiance. And there's a lot to be defined of, God knows. Um, and he, he is, he's, his engagement with things is intensifying. And I just thought that collection was so great. It was great that, see, that at the end, when the drone pulls away and it just keeps going and going and going and you see the road and then you see the beach and then you see the sea and that drone is still going up, up, up. I think it did actually cut just before you thought, my God, it's going to be swallowed up by a, you know, UFO or something. It, it just felt, it, it had, it, he's, he, he, his shows are always on this grand scale. They're always magnificent. There was always something fiercely elemental about them. And doing this show in his own backyard, it, I guess it was, he didn't have to create the grandeur it already existed, you know, and, and I thought that was magnificent. What yeah. else? You said after Rick Owens, you said, oh, Balenciaga I wanted to mention because I loved that film, the sunglasses at night film with the yeah. models walking around Paris. Um, it was, a, and he showed, he showed a summer pre-collection. I mean, he was, he's completely shifting his calendar and he's going to do one show a year in June, Couture. I, I liked that film. I watched it a few times. I just thought it was so... It was, you know, make a video. It was really, and with the sunglasses at night being one of those quintessential 80s video songs. Yeah, I, there was a lot of wit, I thought. Really, there was a lot of wit this season too. I have to mention Maureen Sayre's film as well, because you can go back and watch that a whole lot of times. 
Yeah, someone someone in the comments has brought the Marine Serre film by far, saying it was their top highlight. Wow, it's it's yeah. so good. I mean, it really, really illuminates. Um, it really, it literally brings the clothes to life. It gives them a whole other. It's interesting, like talking about changing your relationship with fashion. When you when you experience clothes like this, it gives you this sort of, you know, aspiration is always considered to be a very powerful force in fashion, and I, I think it I think it's I think it's been kind of diluted over time. But these films actually restore that sense of aspiration, you know, because the best of them have just created these really weird worlds that you're quite happy to be a part of. So Tim, you know, are you a convert to this new way yeah. of experience, experiencing fashion? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What do you think? So as we look, as we look ahead to, to, to January and February, which are actually not that far away and the pandemic, at least here in Europe is entering what's clearly a second wave and a much bigger second wave. If you look at any of the, the data and the cases, it, it seems unlikely that we'll have, you know, a so-called normal fashion week in January or February either. So perhaps this way of presenting fashion is going to be the way we, we experience fashion week for some time yet. And then the bigger question is, is then will we go back? Like what, what do you think is going to happen? But I think I would imagine people who are maybe fence sitting a little bit would have looked at this season and seen what everybody now has a better idea of what works, how to make it work. Um, you know, it's important the the whole, the whole sense of, of, you know, everybody being in this together, we're all in this together, that the line that, you know, the government was shoving down our throats at the very beginning of it all. It, it, you can see how these, a lot of these things have been entirely collective endeavors. They've been collaborations between the designer and filmmaker, musician, whatever. You know, it is, it, it is acknowledging something that fashion has always been, which is all about teamwork. And it changes the sort of fundamental conception of fashion as being the designer, you know, the work of the designer. Now we have this much more, a much more collaborative thing happening. We see, we see designers acknowledging their collaborators and, and, and you know, really quite in, in, in great detail, everybody gets everybody gets a name check. Everybody who's worked on, on things gets a name check. That, that's a shift, I think, because now I, I think that, I think it's a sort of, it's a reflection of, of, of how we're gonna get by, how we're gonna get through this crisis. Everybody's gonna get through this crisis. That we have to help each other as much as we can, as much as we're allowed to from our bubbles and our isolation cells and so on. I think I don't see, with what's happening in Europe now, obviously January and February are pretty shaky propositions. I mean, March isn't looking that good either. I wouldn't have thought. If we have a, if we have a, a winter that is shaping up to be a pretty intense winter here, I mean, I just read that there's been more hospital admissions in the UK than even at the peak of the pandemic earlier in the year. So even if people aren't dying, yeah. they're still ill. And they're still very ill. And And this is... This, this is gonna roll on for a while. And I think with what we just saw, we saw fashion, I think we saw the best of it was fashion adapting extremely well to a completely different set of circumstances. If the business follows, if the buyers follow, if the retailers, so on and so forth, if everybody ad adapts in this way, then people might say we don't need to climb on a plane 20 times a year to go to the other side of the world. We don't need those things that, you know, I, and I think that, that a lot of people did say that, that doing it this way was more expensive than doing a show. 
you know, that in the end it was more complicated and expensive than doing a show. But again, that's something that people will adapt to. I mean, I'm sitting, as I said, I'm sitting at my desk, perfectly comfortable. I have a drink and I have a sandwich or whatever, and I get to watch all these things. And, and then if I, and I go back and watch them again right afterwards, and I don't have to jump in a car and mm. go to something else, you know, and I can program my, my exposure. And it's been a very, very illuminating and pleasant experience for me. I, I guess there's lots of people who would say, would say the opposite of that, but I could totally see this becoming. Well, nice. I guess what I miss is the collect, I miss the collective experience of Fashion Week. So, you know, there's that moment when you go to a, like a really incredible show and you have that kind of shared experience with all of the people who were there and you can't quite explain or translate what happened physically in that space, except with that kind of other people, because you had to be there. And it was just the, the exchange that even I had with you in between shows, like I just feel like that's the part that's really missing is that conversation with our peers, with yeah. the industry, with the buyers, with the CEOs. Like I miss that part of Fashion Week the most. I mean, I did not miss, you know, running around like, a crazy person for four weeks, but I miss the interaction. And for me, if, if fashion week ceases to exist, we need to find another way to bring that group of people together. Cause it's the like community. such a, yeah. it's such a sense of like that global fashion community at fashion week. Well, I, I, I love know that there's, there's, I just realizing that if I never went to another fashion show, there are literally dozens of people who have been part of my life for the last few decades that I will never ever see again. Um, which is a, which is a kind of, you know, a kind of sad thought. And, you know, I, if I let myself go down that path, obviously I'll start rending my garments, but you know, I'm quite, quite solitary as you know. So I have, I enjoy, I've enjoyed my relate, my, I have enjoyed my new relationship with fashion a lot. Um, and I don't feel like mm -hmm. I'm cheating on my old relationship with fashion, but you're right. I will have to make an effort with all those people. I mean, they're not making an effort with me, so I don't feel so guilty. You know, my, my phone isn't ringing. Now expect it, <laughs> expect a ton of like emails and text messages from all over the world. Oh. Tim, we miss you. Um, <laughs> No, it's true. I mean, it's um, like it's been me. an unusual it's been an unusual season, and it looks like next season's not going to be anything close to what we used to have. So, but if let's this, see. If but, this, yeah, if this was an appetizer for a future, it it yeah. tasted pretty good. If it was okay. an appetizer for a possible future, I thought it tasted pretty good. Okay. Well, on on that note, I would like to thank you for as always, sharing your candid thoughts. And to all of you who've joined us from all around the world, including friends of ours like Diane Pernay, who says, I totally agree with you, Tim. Which bit? Diane is one of those, <laughs> Diane is one of those people that Tim and I only get to see when we're in Paris. So we, uh, we miss Fashion Week as we knew it for the relationships, but maybe we could get used to this new kind of Fashion Week going forward. So um, thank you, Tim. And thanks to all of you for joining us. I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. We have lots more BOF Live events happening every single week. If you want to see the full calendar of events, please visit businessoffashion.com slash events. That's all for now. Thank you. Thank you well from London. Hope you're all keeping safe. Thank you, everybody. Back to my appetizer. <laughs>
Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. 